0: Thank you, brother. I love that portion of that song where it says, His face I at last shall see. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 through 29 is where we're going to be today. And this is what it says. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? How can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell to one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What a straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. This is the word of God. Thanks for coming. You can be seated. Fire both purges and purifies. A hammer both breaks and builds. And that's the focus. That's the point of what God is saying here. And before I go any farther, so that we'll get the point, and so we'll hear the power of this word, please bow with me as we ask for his help. Father, I thank you for your word. It is like fire. It is like a hammer, according to this text. And I pray, of course, that it would do its work in our hearts today. Lord, cause your word which is a fire both to purge out of us what shouldn't be there, what's actually harming us, what's making us impure and calls your word to be that fire that also purifies us, calls your word in us this morning to be that hammer that breaks down what's not supposed to be there and help it to also be what builds up what should be there, making us more and more into the image of your dear son. And I pray this in his perfect name. Amen. I'm just going to jump right into the text because there's so much here. This is really dense. There's not a lot of verses here, but it's so dense. It's going to be such a good meal for us, not because I'm preaching it, but because the Lord's given it to us in this format, comparing the false prophets to what they should be saying, which is really the faithful message of his true messengers. "'Am I a god at hand?' he declares." And not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Titled, Like Fire and Like a Hammer, this message. Like fire and like a hammer because he's showing them who he is right now and what his word is really like. And what's he say that he's like right here? Well, first of all, God is both imminent meaning he's close here with us in our midst. He starts out by saying, am I, am I not a God that's close at hand? The word for that is imminent. He's right here with us in this room right beside all of us, each one of us. But at the same time, however, God's also what we call transcendent. Yes, he's imminent right here with me. But he's also transcendent. What does that mean? Meaning he exists far outside of this place, outside of earth, even outside of his creation. You know that, don't you? You know that God didn't box himself in to his creation when he created this creation. He's not stuck in it. He's not bound by the edges of the universe. He actually exists outside of the universe as well. Outside of the universe. Did you hear what I said? This universe that we don't even know where its edges are. We're surprised every time a telescope, Hubble telescope, brings back these images of galaxies that we never even knew existed. We never even knew they were there. And God exists outside of it. He's not bound by it. Therefore, nothing can escape the knowledge of God. That's his point. He sees all and he knows all. That's why he started out saying these two verses, verses 23 and 24. Listen to what Arthur W. Pink said in his book, The Attributes of God, about God's omniscience, meaning he's all-knowing. God is omniscient. He knows everything, everything possible, everything actual, all events and all creatures of the past, the present and the future, he is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. As Daniel 2.22 says, he knoweth what's in the darkness. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. Well, may we say with the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Psalm nine six. His knowledge is perfect. He never errs, never changes, never outlooks, never overlooks anything. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, according to Hebrews 4.13. And he says this, yes, such is the God with whom we have to do, Arthur Pink. This is why the Lord knows all about what these false prophets of Jeremiah's day are up to. Because this is who God is. This is what he's like. Verse 25 mentions them peddling their falsehoods. And their primary method, their primary way of pointing out their own ideas is through these dreams that they say they're having. They're putting authority into what they've dreamed. Verse 25 says... I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name. I have dreamed, I have dreamed. Or if you have the NIV, it says, I had a dream, I had a dream. They're putting authority in their dreams. Now God did choose to reveal himself to his prophets through dreams. He did, 100%. We know that from Numbers 12, 6. Numbers 12, 6 says this. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So yes, does God give visions to his prophets? 100%. Does he give them dreams? Absolutely he does. We know this. But he makes clear that if someone claiming to be a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, both in our case, they're claiming to be prophets and they're claiming to have dreams, If he causes others to go after other gods, then he is not of God. How do we know that? Listen to Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. This is what I love about the word of God. It gives us everything we need. It gives us everything that we need. 99% of the questions that you're gonna have that are actually real questions about God and what he's like are gonna be found in the scriptures. You can find them. You can find them. You have to search for them, though to study, be a good student of Scripture. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. These verses in Deuteronomy give us the reason why God says what he says in the next verse, verse 28, when he says, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. Really? Why would he want that? Why would God say that? When I was reading through this, when I was studying that, I asked myself that question. Why would God, who says earlier, he's already said in the text that these prophets prophesy lies in his name. He said that, didn't he? And he also said they prophesy the deceit of their own heart. So they're deceived. And they're just spewing this out like sewage. Coming out of their mouth like poison. It's doing nothing to the people of God. It's that poisoning their minds with lies. And God says, Let them keep doing it. Why would God want them to keep telling their deceitful lies? Well, the text from Deuteronomy answered that question for us already, didn't it? Did you see what it said? For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He's leaving them in place on purpose to test the people of God. I heard John MacArthur say once, he said, I think there are people who, are, who have died that I think should still be alive. It's talking about great preachers and those of old who are so godly. He said, I think, they should, I think there are people that are dead that should be alive. And he said, and I think there are some people that are alive that should be dead. That's what he said. <laughs> now, I don't th- Now that, this was in the context of false prophets. I don't think he was advocating murdering them. Actually, I know he wasn't because he's a man of the word. But he's basically saying, wouldn't it be better if Charles Spurgeon was still alive if we had him and we didn't have the Kenneth Copelands and the Joyce Myers and these other people? Wouldn't it be better if we didn't have them? I'm not saying I want them dead. Not saying that at all. But one's better, it seems, for the people of God, and one's less better for the people of God. But God leaves them in place on purpose, because I've thought that, why are these people still allowed to be here? Because if you want to see your pastor really angry, let him listen to some heresy. It burns me up because this is so important. The truth is so important. Once you start messing with it and maligning it and making it say things it doesn't say, and that affects how people live and think, it affects their choices, it especially affects their thoughts about sin. You're dealing with eternity, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with heaven in hell at this point. That's why it makes me so angry. And I'm thinking, why, Lord, why? Why do you let them keep spewing forth this filth in your name? And he's already given us the answer. It says to test us. You know, tests show us what's real about us. Tests show us what's real about us. How so? Well, they do that in two areas. Number one, in the way of our knowledge. Some of you in here are teachers. When you're given a test in school, it's to evaluate what you really know, right? When you're given a test in school, it's to evaluate what you really know and what you don't know. It shows very easily what you know and what you don't know on a test. Number two, tests show what's real about the way of our heart. So they show what's true about the way of our knowledge, in way of our knowledge, and they show what's true in way of our heart. Tests do both of those things, this test especially, because tests show us what we really treasure. Tests show us what we really know, and tests show us what we really treasure. When the Lord tested Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his own son Isaac, the son he'd longed for, the son he'd prayed for, and the son he finally received, Isaac, the promised son. The Lord tested Abraham to see if he treasured the boy above the Lord. That's a test. That's why the angel of the Lord interrupts Abraham from following through with the act. When he says to him in Genesis twenty-two twelve. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It was a test. Now I know that you truly fear me. Now I know. So yes, God says, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. They must continue to exist in order to test the people and continue to be used to separate those who only want their desires fulfilled from those who want their sins forgiven. And they do a good job of that, don't they? False prophets will gather to them people who are like them and people who want what they want. And true teachers will repel those people because you're not telling me what I want to hear. What I want to hear is that everything's going to be fine and I get everything I want and I get a pain-free life and then I get heaven afterwards after, of course, getting to live how I want to live and do what I want to do when I want to do it with who I want to do it with. That's what I want to hear. And if that's not what you're telling me, get out of my face. I don't like you. You make me uncomfortable I I mean, that's what I did with godly people who were around me back when I was living in sin. You think I wanted to hang out with them? No, they made me very uncomfortable. That's because the darkness will hide from the light, lest their deeds be exposed. But when he continues on in verse 28, after saying, let the prophet who has... A dream, tell his dream. He continues on in verse 28 by saying this, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. God contrasts between the lying prophets with their fake dreams and the one who actually has something real. One's giving something false. One's giving something that's faithful and true and real. God says, but let him who has my word speak my word Faithfully, one man's lying with a deceptive message that produces Baal worshippers, Like we saw in our text, it says that, turns the people to Baal, the false god. The other is faithfully giving God's message, which produces God worshipers. One, we're told, prophesies lies from his heart. The other prophesies truth from God. And the two have nothing in common. The two have nothing in common. That's why it's hard. It's hard for us who have the true gospel and believe the true word of God and who stand on it, every word of it. And we take it very seriously. That's why it's hard for us to want to hold hands with other ministries, if you want to call them that, who compromise the truth, who say there are many ways to God. They all want us to get on stage and hold hands and... That looks good, looks good when we're united, right? But if you're united, you have to be united under something. It has to be something that you're united under. We all believe in this. Well, unless we're united under this, then we're, we can't be united. And that's not a bad thing. If you hold unity above truth, you'll compromise on the truth every time. Because even Jesus brought division. He naturally brings division. Read the book of John. And they were divided because of him. And there was a, a division because of his words. And the people were divided. It says that three different times in the book of John. Division, division, division. Jesus did it because of truth. Truth has to divide. There's never going to be unity. Unity. Until Jesus comes back. Because when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then there will be unity. Only then, even the demons will bow down on that day. Not because they love him, but because they recognize He's Lord. So the two have nothing in common. These two different types of prophets. Those who prophesy lies according to the deceits of their own heart. And those who faithfully proclaim the word of God. God says, I want you both to keep going. You both keep doing what you're doing. But there's not even a remote resemblance to one another in those two. That's why he ends verse 28 saying, What has straw in common with wheat? declares the Lord. They don't have anything in common. R.C. Sproul said about this verse, the false dream is to the true prophetic word as straw is to wheat. Only the wheat has any value. The farmer, when he harvests his wheat, you know what he does? He separates the wheat from the chaff. Children, the chaff is the tall part of the plant that the wheat is on top of, you know? Well, the chaff and the husk around the wheat it's worthless they separate it out and they burn it matthew henry said he that pretends to have a message from god whether by dream or by voice let him declare it and it will be easily and it will easily appear which is of god and which is not those that have spiritual senses exercised will be able to distinguish for what is the chaff to the wheat the promise of peace Which these prophets make to you are no more to be compared to God's promises than chaff to wheat. Men's fancies are light and vain and worthless as chaff, which the wind drives away. But the word of God has substance to it. It is of value. It is food for the soul, the bread of life. Matthew Henry. Well said. So you can really tell what's true when it's tested. You can tell what's true when it's tested. That's why tests are good for us. Your pastor can't say that he passes all the tests. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say I didn't fall for them so easily as well from time to time. Sometimes I loathe myself. I feel like the Apostle Paul who says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I have that same saying multiple times. Sometimes multiple times in a week. I'm sure no One else is quite like me in that area. But then Paul says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how we have the victory. That's how we have the victory is through Christ. You can really tell what's true when it's tested. That's why God mentions fire and a hammer. Last verse of our text. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? I mentioned at the beginning that fire both purges and purifies. Fire does that. Like in the case of precious metals, so that only what's true is left. It purges out the dross. It purges out what's impure and it makes only what's pure left. Fire does that. Jeremiah told us in chapter 20 that he had a fire in his bones. Remember that? He says when he... Fails to speak the word of God. He says, it's like a fire in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Just have to let this message out. It's like fire. That fire was God's message that was testing God's people, purging some and purifying others. God's word is like a hammer. We have many men in here who are builders. God's word is like a hammer. It both breaks apart and it builds up. A hammer is used for both. It can break And it can build. That's what God's word does, doesn't it? We come to God needing to be broken down, needing to be humbled. We are prideful through and through. Men, we are born, I say men, I mean like mankind. We're born proud creatures. Sure, some of us are born maybe a little more compassionate than others, but through and through we are proud. And God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We must be humbled first. And his word does that. And his word builds us up. It does both. That's why it's so wonderful. That's why when we neglect the word, when we throw the word away, when we think our thoughts or man's thoughts or men's philosophies or ideas are better than this, we fall into so much folly. I'm telling you, Sunday after Sunday, you hear me lifting up this word, right? It's because there's so much in that world that's tearing it down. You know this. There's so much out there that's trying to get you to doubt this and believe this. Those online, I'm pointing to my mind. And believe your heart. Fools. Fools when we do that. We are fools. Do not go that way. There will come a day, your last day, When if you walk that way, you will say, I was a fool. What a fool I was, and now it's too late. Don't go there. Your pastor is loving on you right now by pointing you to the one source of truth that's eternal, infallible, wonderful, inspired by God himself. This God that I told you exists outside of the universe, outside of it. He's made himself also communicative to us. He communicates to us, and through his Son, Who died in your place. He took the punishment that should have been yours. What kind of God is that? Who wants to know you? Me? Sometimes I don't even want to know me. Okay? I'm thinking, I mean, there's been so many times where I thought, you are some kind of loser. And then God, God still loves me and wants me as his son and wants to make me into the image of his son. Oh, what kind of God we have, and what precious gift he's given us in his word. So we, are, we, we fall into so much folly when we turn from it. It's fire, and it's a hammer, because it's both purposeful and powerful. I want to share with you four things that God's word can do. It can do so much more. But I want to share with you four things that God's word can do. In conclusion, we're going to just look at these four, and then we'll be done. But you know, don't you, when the pastor says, in conclusion, you still got a good 20 minutes. <laughs> no, not today. What the Word of God can do. Number one, the Word of God can save souls. Romans 1.16 tells us that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek. What's the it? Well, he's pointing right back to what he said at the beginning of that verse, The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the, the good news that God saves sinners, the good news that because there's bad news that you're a sinner separated from God and under his wrath because of your sin, you don't just, you don't just have some bad habits. You're not just, eh, I'm not, I'm not as bad as that guy. We like to do that. We love to compare ourselves. John 3, 36 says that we're under the wrath of God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came into this world who lived a sinless life. Though you're sinful, he was sinless. And he died in your place, taking the punishment that should have been yours. He did not deserve that punishment. He did not deserve the full wrath of Almighty God. We do. And he took it upon himself, and he died. And as we sang, he rose again from the grave. Death can't even hold him. And if we're in him, death won't hold us either. We have eternal life. We will live eternally. We'll go to the land of the living in Christ. And it happens through the gospel. When we turn from our sin and put our trust only in what he did for us, that's how we can be saved. So number one, what the Bible can do, it saves souls. Praise God for that. Because you can't save your own soul. You can't take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Only God can do that. Number two, what else does the word of God do for us? It fights sin. Listen to Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Anyone need help in this room fighting sin? You're in the right place. Listen, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. I have stored up, your heart, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Guarding your way according to God's word. Storing up your word in his heart that you might not sin. You know when Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bring all things that I've said to your remembrance. Let me ask you this. Can you remember something you never knew? Can you? No. Do you guys remember that time that I gave all of you a million dollars? Remember that? No, Cohen, I don't remember that because it didn't happen. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Holy Spirit can't pull out of your arsenal what you haven't put in the arsenal. The Holy Spirit can't bring to you a remembrance what you don't know. Store up his word in your heart if you want to fight against sin. Number three, what else can the word of God do besides save souls, fight sin? It creates growth. Listen to 1 Peter 2.2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. According to the context, he's been talking about the word of God. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it... What? What's the it? The pure spiritual milk, the word. By it, you may grow up in your salvation. By the word, we grow up in our salvation. The word of God saves souls. The word of God fights sin. The word of God causes growth in grace. That's how we grow. You struggling in some area? Join the club. Get in the word. He will help you grow up in your salvation. It won't be such a struggle six months from now or a year from now, perhaps, if you grow, if you grow. Just like you used to struggle to read and write when you were younger, right? Well, some of us might still struggle to, you know, read and write a little bit. (laughs) At least write legibly. But there was a time when you used to struggle with things that you don't struggle with now. Why? You grew up. It's the same in the spiritual world. You will grow past these struggles if you grow and the Word of God, it's how we grow. Number four, what else can the Word of God do? Number one, it saves souls. Number two, it fights sin. Number three, it creates growth. Number four, it gives hope. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. God wants to give us hope. And we have a sure hope. Sometimes we use that word hope like, well, I hope so. I, ho- I hope we get to do this or I hope we get to do that. For us, it's a sure hope. It's a hope, something we're looking forward to. We know it's coming. Our hope is in it, that form of hope. And these are just four of the things that the word of God can do. But you see from the progression, save souls, Fight sin, create growth, give hope. You see that there's a progression, don't you? A timeline there. There's a point where I wasn't saved and I got saved. Then I fight against sin. Then I grow up and I've got hope of a future home in heaven. The Word of God carries us from beginning to end. God's Word is greater than man's Word. That's the point here. False prophets are lying. And let him keep lying. But let my man with my word keep telling the truth. Or my woman with my word keep telling the truth. Let me end with Warren Wiersbe's quote. There are false prophets and teachers in our world today. Many who claim to know God's will because of their dreams, their study of astrology, or their special spiritual gifts. Some of them have invaded the church. Whatever anyone says who claims to be speaking for the Lord, must be tested by the word of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. It's pure. It purges us and purifies us. It also breaks us down and builds us up, and we're so grateful for it, that your word is like a fire and like a hammer. We need it to be that, and I pray that you would cause it to be that for us today and always Lord, help us not to neglect it. We are so tempted and even told outright sometimes to neglect it. And sometimes it's done very subtly. So I pray that you'd please help us to see those subtle temptations to turn from it, Lord, and help us to know that we have to be true. And we need your help to be true, to stand on this word, even when it means standing alone. And often it will mean that. So give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen.